Hope you guys had a great weekend. Um, I, uh, I had a good weekend. As you can see, I'm showing off my Ravens pride here a little bit. Uh, Ravens had a big, big win over the Denver Broncos. And I think after that performance, uh, my Baltimore Ravens are probably the best team in um, not only in the league now, but probably the best team in the history of professional sports. So, and then if they, if they lose next week against the Steelers, then, then they'll be the worst team in my mind. And that's, that's what, if you're, if you're a sports fan, it's a very bipolar experience because your team is always either the best team or the worst team. Um, recently the Ravens have been the worst team a lot, uh, because they've been losing quite a bit, but anyway, hope you guys, uh, had a good weekend. So let's talk about, um, well, it was clear to any observant person that the Democrats were stalling last, last week to give themselves more of an opportunity to conjure up another accuser against Brett Kavanaugh and all of the back and forth about the particulars relating to Christine Ford testifying, uh, the discussions about who would go first, about how many commit cameras would be there, uh, about who, you know, about all that kind of stuff about whether, um, Christine Ford should have to fly because apparently at the last minute she decided that she's afraid of flying, you know, all of that was nothing but a delay tactic and a transparent delay tactic to give the Democrats more time to do what they did last night. And what they did last night is they whipped together another accusation. And guys, this one is even flimsier than the first one. I mean, this one makes the first one seem credible by comparison. And I didn't think that the first one was all that credible in the first place. Well, actually we have two new accusations, sort of. Okay. So, um, the first one, uh, uh, Michael Avenatti, the, the Stormy Daniels lawyer, the creepy porn lawyer, as Tucker Carlson called him, he is now claiming that he is aware of, quote, significant evidence that Kavanaugh was basically the ringleader of some kind of, like, um, rape gang that would go around to house parties in the suburban D.C. area in the eighties and they would just take turns raping women. This, this, this is what he's, this is what he's now claiming. Um, we should also mention if it wasn't clear already that Michael Avenatti is quite possibly the scummiest person on the political scene today. And that, as you know, I mean, that is saying something. He's got a lot of competition, uh, for, for, for that title, especially in his own party, but even in the other party as well. But, um, but I think that quite possibly is true. Now we'll just we're just going to ignore his accusations and and move on to uh, the piece published by the New Yorker, written by Ronan Farrow, who is the guy responsible for a lot of the different um, Me Too reports on uh, you know he, he's he's reported on several high profile Me Too cases, and usually his reporting has been pretty solid. This though, this is not solid. Now, I'm going to go through some of um, this New Yorker article, and we will analyze it together because I want you to, if you, if you haven't read the article, um, I want you to just get an idea. I want you to understand, to kind of see just how desperate and dishonest the opposition to Kavanaugh has become. Because what's happening to Kavanaugh now, this makes, this makes the Robert Bork treatment look gentle by comparison. So we're going to have to change the, the name because we used to say that if a if a uh, if a, a Supreme Court nominee is destroyed by the other party, we say he got borked. Well, now we're going to have to say Kavanaugh, even though Bork, you know, the last name Bork makes for a better verb than Borked sounds better than Kavanaugh. 
but um, this is this this I think is even worse than what happened to Bork. So um, let me read a little bit from this piece. It says the woman at the center of the story, Deborah Ramirez, who is 53, attended Yale with Kavanaugh, where she studied sociology and psychology. Later, she spent years working for an organization that supports victims of domestic violence. The New Yorker contacted Ramirez after learning of her possible involvement in an incident involving Kavanaugh. The allegation was also conveyed to Democratic senators by a civil rights lawyer. For Ramirez, the sudden attention has, become, has been unwelcome and prompted difficult choices. She, now, it's, it's, it's been reported elsewhere that um, she came forward with this story when Democrats came looking for it which shouldn't be a surprise. They've been looking for this dirt. And so that's why she's speaking now. She was at first hesitant to speak publicly, partly because her memories contained gaps, um, because she'd been drinking at the time of the alleged incident. In her initial conversations with the New Yorker, she was reluctant to characterize Kavanaugh's role in the alleged incident with certainty. After six days of carefully assessing her memories and consulting with her attorney, Ramirez said that she felt confident of her recollections to say that she remembers Kavanaugh uh, had exposed himself at a drunken dormitory party, party, thrust his penis in her face, and caused her to touch it without her consent as she pushed him away. Ramirez is now calling for the FBI to investigate Kavanaugh's role in the incident. Now, um, if you please, can we go back and hone in on this for just a minute, where she says, in her initial conversations with The New Yorker, she was reluctant to characterize Kavanaugh's role in the alleged incident with certainty— after six days of carefully assessing her memories and consulting with her attorney, she then decided that Kavanaugh was the guy. So this is a drunken memory from 35 years ago. Up until this week, she wasn't sure if Kavanaugh was involved at all. But after talking to her lawyers for six days and assessing her memories, she decided that he was. Wow. So, so what is this? Is this just like a, a repressed memory that her lawyers were able to bring to the surface? What, what was it? Hypnosis? I mean, how, how did they get this memory out of her mind? Um, th th is that what this was? Now, never mind the fact that the whole idea of repressed memories is bogus. Um, but even if, because that, that's, you know, that's something that I feel like that, that idea of repressed memories is kind of plays a part in this, in, in how the public views uh, the Kavanaugh situation, you know, when you hear about a woman who uh, says this thing happened, but she didn't remember the details until just now. And and then we think, well, oh, yeah, that's like a repressed memory. But we're getting that from TV shows and from movies in Hollywood. In reality, that doesn't actually exist. You're not going to have someone who was traumatized by an event but then, but do, it doesn't remember, it. and then all of a sudden, years later, it just pops to their into their mind uh, because, because of some jostling, usually from a therapist, but in this case, from a lawyer. It doesn't really work that way. In fact, in 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 you know, most of the time, if somebody is traumatized, not only do they not forget it, but they have the opposite problem where they replay it in their mind a hundred times a day for the rest of their life. That that's that's often how this goes. But in this case, we're told. Well, we aren't told that she forgot the entire incident. She remembered it, I guess. But um, she didn't remember who it was that actually, you know, did this thing until now. So I guess that was a repressed memory. Um, so going back to the article, it says, Ramirez said that when both she and Kavanaugh were freshmen at Yale, she was invited by a friend on the women's soccer team to a dorm room party. 
She recalled that the party took place in a suite at Lawrence Hall in the part of Yale known as the Old Campus, and that a small group of students decided to play a drinking game together. We were sitting in a, in a circle, she said. People would pick who drank. Ramirez was chosen repeatedly, she said, and quickly became inebriated. At one point, she said a male student pointed a gag, a gag plastic penis in her direction. Later, she said she was on the floor, foggy and slurring her words, as that male student and another stood by. Um, a third male student then exposed himself to her. Quote, I remember a penis being in front of my face, she said. Um, I, I knew that's not what I wanted, even in, the even in that state of mind. She recalled remarking, that's not a real penis. And the other students laughed at her confusion and, uh, and uh, taunting her, one encouraging her to kiss it. Quote, unquote, kiss it. She said that she pushed the person away, um, touching it in the process. Ramirez, who was raised a devout Catholic in Connecticut, said that she was shaken. Quote, I, was, I wasn't going to touch a penis until I was married, she said. I was embarrassed and ashamed and humiliated. She remembers Kavanaugh standing to her right and laughing, pulling up his pants. Brett was laughing, she said. I can still see his face. Um, she recalled another male student shouting about the incident. Somebody yelled down the hall, Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Debbie's face, she said. Quote, it was his full name. I don't think it was just Brett. And I remember hearing and being mortified that this was out there. Okay. Um, and, and yet, after several days of considering the matter carefully, she said, I'm confident about the pants coming up and I'm confident about Brett being there. Okay. A few things to unpack here. First of all, the woman said she was lying on the floor drunk. So she's completely wasted. Um, foggy and slurring her words, the article says. But notice the passive way that this is worded. She quickly became inebriated is what it said. As if it was something that just happened, you know, outside of her control, not a decision that she made. Anyway. Um, second, she calls on her uh, devout Catholic faith, you know, as, as part of this story. Yet she also admits that she was lying on the floor drunk at a party with a bunch of college boys. And, and look, people get drunk at parties in college. I'm not going to call her character into question for that. But it's just... You, you, you can't really fall back on the I was just a good Catholic girl thing, given the context. I mean, it seems like she added that in as a way to kind of bolster her credibility. Um, but yet, given the context, it's just it's, it's hard to make that case. Third thing, um, she says she remembers someone shouting, Brett Kavanaugh put his penis in Debbie's face. But then she also has been saying this whole time, that she wasn't really sure if Kavanaugh was the one who did this. Now, that doesn't really make sense because if she really remembers someone literally shouting, Brett Kavanaugh did this thing, like his full name, then she wouldn't have any doubts that Brett Kavanaugh did this thing. The fact that she does have doubts, even now it seems, would seem to indicate that this part of the story, the part about the person shouting, is, must not have really happened. Because if she 100% remembers that, that somebody shouted, then she should be 100% confident about this whole story, which she isn't. And then fourth, the only thing she seems to be confident about is that uh, the pants came up and Brett Kavanaugh was there. So in summary, she says, okay, I'm confident that the pants were coming up and Brett Kavanaugh was there. That's not the same thing as saying I'm confident that Brett Kavanaugh was the one. 
Um, okay, now we get really to the crux of the matter here. Uh, going back to the article, it says, The New Yorker has not confirmed with other eyewitnesses that Kavanaugh was present at the party. The magazine contacted several dozen classmates of Ramirez and Kavanaugh regarding the incident. Many did not respond to interview requests. Others declined to comment or said they did not attend or remember the party. A classmate of Ramirez's, who declined to be identified, um, said that another student told him about the incident either on the night of the party or the next day or two. The classmate said that he is 100% sure that he was told at the time that Kavanaugh was a student who exposed himself to Ramirez. He independently recalled many of the same details offered by Ramirez, including that a male student had encouraged Kavanaugh as he exposed himself. The classmate, like Ramirez, recalled that the party took place in a common room in the first floor in entryway B of Lawrence Hall during their freshman year. Um, okay, so no eyewitnesses confirmed the story. Some have disputed it, but they did find a corroborating story from an anonymous person, which, re- which was relayed secondhand. So this is a person who doesn't want to be identified, but they say that someone told them that this thing happened. Um, now let's look at this statement from the article. It says, in a statement, two of those male classmates who Ramirez alleged were involved in the incident and the wife of a third male student who uh, she said was involved and three other classmates disputed Ramirez's accounts of the event. Um, one of them says, quote, we were, we were the people closest to Brett Kavanaugh during his first year at Yale. He was a roommate to some of us, and we spent a great deal of time with him. Uh, some of us were also friends with Debbie Ramirez during and after her time at Yale. We could say with confidence that if the incident Debbie alleges ever occurred, we would have seen or heard about it, and we did not. The behavior she describes will be completely out of character for Brett, um, in addition, some of us knew Debbie, Debbie long after Yale, and she never described this incident until Brett's Supreme Court nomination was pending. And then, uh, and then we also hear from a former friend of Debbie Ramirez, who was married to the classmate alleged to be involved. And uh, she says, and she said that, look, I was best friends with uh, Ramirez during school, and uh, we shared all these different intimate details of our lives with each other. She never mentioned this. She never said anything about this. Okay, so there you go. Multiple alleged eyewitnesses contradict her account. A friend of Ramirez contradicts it. So again, we have no evidence, no corroborating accounts, several contradictory accounts. And somehow the New Yorker considered this fit to print. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And of course, we again ask ourselves, um, even if this was true, which there's no reason to think it was true, but even if this incident, even if this drunken incident did occur um, between all these drunk people at a, at a college party where Brett Kavanaugh, you know, pulled his pants down, uh, does that matter now, 35 years later? Does it have any bearing on the fact, you know, uh, on whether or not he is capable of being a competent Supreme Court justice? And for this story, um, even more than for the other one, I, I say certainly uh, no. It, it, it doesn't really have any bearing. True or not, and again, there's no reason to think that it is true, but true or not, I just don't see how this has any impact whatsoever on whether or not he would be a reliable um, Supreme Court justice. And 
it's also hard, you know, now, now we're told, I guess, that this has traumatized her, um, that she's, you know, been traumatized for, by it for her whole life. But um, that's kind of hard to believe, too, I, I got to be honest with you. Because for one thing, up until this week, she didn't even remember if Brett Kavanaugh was the guy. Again, that is not, that's not, it's not generally how it works. If somebody traumatizes you, does something that traumatizes you, y- you're going to remember them. Now, you may, you may be foggy on some other details, but you're going to remember who did it. Um, and then we also have this. Last thing from the article that I'll read. Um, she's, uh, Ramirez said that she continued to socialize with one of the male classmates who had egged on Kavanaugh during the party. She invited the classmate to her house for Thanksgiving after he told her he had nowhere to go. She also attended his wedding years later as a guest of his wife and said that she posed for photographs with Kavanaugh smiling. Um, okay, but so, 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 so again, but the, so she was supposedly traumatized by this event, yet she was still friends with at least one of the guys that was involved for years after the fact. Never said anything to, about, you know, never mentioned this story to anybody, was friends with, the, with this guy, and now all of a sudden... It's changed. The article also says that Ramirez said that she remained silent about the matter and did not fully confront her memories about it for years because she blamed herself for drinking too much. Um, She says, even if I did drink too much, any person observing it, would they want their daughter, their granddaughter with a penis in their face while they're drinking that much? She said, I can say that at 53, but when I was 19 or 20, I was vulnerable. I didn't know any better. Reflecting on the incident now, she says she considers Kavanaugh's male classmates culpable. They're accountable for not stopping this, she said. However, what Brett did is the worst. Uh, She added, what does it mean that this person has a role in defining women's rights in our future? Okay, so two two, two last things. First of all, she gives away her political motivations with that last line. You know, uh, he's going to have a role in defining women's rights. So obviously this is a pro-abortion person. She's a registered Democrat. So this is, this is, she, she at least is partially politically motivated, um, which could explain how, you know, th- that, that could have factored into this sudden epiphany that she's had this past week about the fact that Brett Kavanaugh was, uh, was involved. You know, in, in her mind, she thinks that Brett Kavanaugh is a threat to her, to her very human rights as a woman, which he's not, but that's what she thinks. So it seems like she would have a very uh, powerful subconscious motivation, at least subconscious motivation, to put Brett Kavanaugh's face onto this situation, even if he wasn't involved. But the second thing is, you know, and this doesn't really matter, but you see how she takes absolutely no responsibility for the fact that she got wasted at the party. She says, I didn't know any better. Well, okay, well, can Brett Kavanaugh use that excuse? I mean, it, it, look, the whole thing is, uh, is, is kind of a joke at this point. What Republicans need to do is they just need to confirm Brett Kavanaugh and be done with this. They need to grow a spine and say, you know what, we're done. We're, we're, we're not doing this anymore. We are not going to just sit here and wait 
while the Demo- while Democrats go around trying to dig up whatever skeletons or imagined skeletons they can find so that they can parade them in front of the media. We're not, we're not going to sit around waiting for them to do that. We're not going to give them another week or two weeks to, to, to go and, and see if they can find even more accusers and even more accusations from uh, drunken parties 35 years ago. That's what the Republicans should say. We're not going to do that. We're just going to confirm him. And if you don't like it, too bad. That's all. Supreme Court is not an elected position. So Brett Kavanaugh doesn't need to be popular. It honestly doesn't matter how people feel about it. That's what the Republicans need to say. But they won't say it because they're cowards. So um, this spectacle will only continue until Brett Kavanaugh or until the Republicans develop enough of a spine to finally put an end to it, which I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed.